Hello everyone, it's a new dawn, a new day, and a new year. <laughs> Welcome to January in 2021. Hopefully better than, well, the bar is low, but there is a bar. Hopefully better. I would say January has already been slightly better than 2021, what with yeah. Trump gone and um, what else? I feel like happened? as a world, we're doing better. But I feel like it's individually quite... Mm. I mean, January and February are going to be probably the most difficult months this year. Yeah. Because you're so stuck inside and everything. And we've got so many deadlines. Yeah. And somehow that makes the book quite relevant about yeah. struggling. and That's true. Being on a low note. Anyway, this year, this year, this month, we're doing The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath from the 60s. Mm-hmm. Although partly also written in the 50s, I believe. Yeah. I think it's written in the 60s and set in the 50s. Mm, okay. I wasn't sure if she maybe started at like 59, you know? Yeah, no. It's definitely on that sort of like the cusp, cusp. of like the 50s and the 60s. <laughs> yes. Yes. Should we start maybe, I don't know, do you have any New Year's resolution? Oh no, I haven't done New Year's resolutions. Um, My New Year's resolution this year is to turn 21 graduate I mean, and get a job that they're my resolutions yeah um but i think a lot of them will happen whether i want them to or not especially the yeah the graduation and the turn in 21 that's gonna happen whether i want them to or not at this point like yeah. I'm, I'm just on that hill and well is I'm the graduation rolling. gonna happen <laughs> well the graduation itself might not happen but yeah I, well, but the graduating happens, <laughs> i will most likely finish my degree this year yeah yeah. How about you? I have very... I've put the bar low this year, but I want to moisturise more because I always yes. forget. So we, we're just doing like small things. I just want to do that. And yeah, when your skin is as dry as mine is, um, you can't get away with not moisturising every yeah. single night because it otherwise it just hurts. It's like yeah. I smile and it feels like my face is cracking. So yeah, that that's that's a fun insight to my my um, dry skin struggles. <laughs> nice. I don't have very oily skin, but like it's oily enough that I get away with it. Yeah. So yeah, like your like your body it... produces some of the moisture that you need. Yeah, which I feel yeah. like isn't it's it's like it's yeah it's fine, but that makes nice me flex. forget to moisturize. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, very relevant. That's my New Year's resolution. <laughs> also, to nice. do more reading, I enjoy. Which helps with this, but also just like shitty books. I want to read more shitty books. That's good. I I think having not having uni by the end of the year and yeah, also having less books to read for modules this time. I will, and I have already started yeah. doing that. I've started. I've Same. made a dent on the TBR pile that I've had for um, yonks. Same. I finally started. I, I was the start of this year. I didn't do a lot of like productive things, but mostly because I wasn't home. But now I've I've I'm getting through them. I've I'm halfway through my third book now, which that's I'm good. I've read poetry. Two. I'm on my third. I'm on my third book actually. I've just started my third book. Mhm. Although technically my third book is 
Halsey's poetry collection, which I don't want to get to the end of. If anyone hasn't read it, it's very good. And I don't want to get to the end of it because then I'm like, there's no more poems, you know? I had it a bit with this one. I yeah. started it and I was like, I'm racing through this. So every time I put it down like on purpose and I was like, I can't finish it yet because the podcast isn't in like a month. Yeah, I had and that. It won't be too relevant anymore. So I've been reading it really slowly, like chapter by chapter, basically like a chapter a night. Yeah, I started reading it um, in early December. Good when I was on the train and I just like I powered through the first third of it on the train and then I was like I can't do this it's still over a month until we're recording yeah I had to stop so I kind of read it in like two chunks yeah same I started it like as soon as I got it and and for those of you who don't know Amelia got me it for Christmas the book it's very pretty copy it is yours is a gorgeous copy like mine is a pretty copy and I was like well I don't want to get Laura the same copy as me even though it is lovely and I like the colours but then I saw that copy and I was like, yeah, got to, it's got to be I done. I feel like most of the copies from the Bell Jar are quite pretty. Yeah. Like, they're doing great out there. They know what they're doing. They just want to capture you and then make you really, really sad when you're reading it. Yeah. Because mental <laughs> health in the 50s. Oh yeah, at this point we should probably say that we are going to be covering some very dark themes in this episode. Because if yes. you didn't know, Sylvia Plath, very depressed. As a result, this book has a lot of very descriptive descriptions of mental health issues. So we've got putting some trigger warnings in. Suicide yeah. as well. Yeah, putting some trigger Suicidal warnings in here. So triggers, if yeah. any of those things you don't want to hear about them, we, we understand. And even some sexual assault in it. Yeah. I'm not sure how much we'll dis- some... discuss it, but it does happen in the book. Yes. So just in Slightly case traumatic sexual experiences as well so if that's not your thing we understand we'll see you next time yes where we'll do a fun a fun book which is not that deep and well yeah it's more emotional it's more like it's a bit deep but yeah. it's like light-hearted we'll see you then otherwise yeah if you want see. some lovely poetic descriptions of things and a woman who's in her early 20s and trying to figure out what she, what the hell she wants to do with her life and sort of spirals, then stay. Sort of. <laughs> sort of spirals, you know. <laughs> Should I start off with some context? Yes. Let's hear about the 1950s, 60s. Yes. So basically, I... Because last year we did context for all of the decades, mm-hmm. I focused more on, like, things that were more relevant to this book. So I looked into shock therapy and just how they handled... Like mental health treatment, mental health, things. yeah. In around that time, which I felt like was more relevant. That was one of the things I found the most interesting yeah. in the book. So, basically, they were actually already doing a lot better. I know it doesn't seem like it, but I mean, in comparison to the forties, where they were doing like lobotomies through the eye yeah. and things, then I can I can see where you're coming yeah. from with this. Because but yeah, carry therapy on. is. One of the things it's mentioned in is this. I think it's also in things like A Clockwork Orange, that kind of stuff. In media, it's always mm. presented to be horrible. Nowadays, yeah. people still use shock therapy because it's actually proven to help. Um, It's just the way it's done, yeah. especially at that time, wasn't the best, but that was the one way they knew how to help people. And you can kind of see that in the book because her first doctor does shock therapy, but he doesn't do it in like the right way um Mm -hmm. and then when she goes to her second doctor who's more progressive she is like that's not how you're supposed to do it and then but then tells her that she's not going to do it and then does it but she does it in like the right way if you know which is where 
another issue comes in though because a lot of people were given things where they wouldn't remember what actually how horrible it was so that makes me think did she actually do it the right way or did she just give her the right medicine that makes her forget afterwards there's a part in the book as well where esther talks about that but she's talking about it in context of when buddy takes her to see the woman who's given birth because obviously at that time they were giving them drugs so that they would be pretty much like knocked out or not remembering it afterwards which does make me think that maybe that happened during her second shock therapy which is why she experiences it as a much more positive experience. Yeah, in that scene, she's watching the woman giving birth and thinks that she's in pain, and Buddy says, well, she's not in pain, and but Esther feels like she is feeling the pain, but won't remember it afterwards. So she's like, it's, it's very much men tricking women into wanting kids because they don't remember the pain of childbirth, yeah. so then they feel like they can go straight home and have more kids, sort of thing. Yeah. The bigger issue, which I found really interesting, not because it's like good, but just because I found it fascinating, yeah. is the use of insulin in... Interesting. Well, she uses it because she gets it in her bum all yes. the time. But in general, which is nowadays not used anymore, and the reason for that is that it wasn't actually proved to do anything. Okay. So at the start they did it and about 50% of the people like, got healed, basically. They were fine okay. afterwards. So it cured them. Turns out that that was just like coincidence. Oh. So they kept giving people insulin, but it didn't actually work. It's just, like, fortunate that those 50% of the people were cured. Okay. To doing with, like, it had to do with something else. Maybe they did shock therapy at the same time or yeah. something. So 50% of the people got healed and they were like, that's a great percentage. Let's pump insulin in everybody. Didn't work. Just got a bunch of people basically, like, high and it put people in comas every Yeah, because if you're having too like, much insulin, if your body's already generating enough insulin for your body, if you're putting, like, extra in there, that's not going to be very helpful. You're just going to... Isn't it to do with, like, blood sugar? So it, like, regulates your blood sugar. So then yeah. your blood sugar would be too low. Yeah, so basically a lot of people just were in comas, but then they found that useful because they didn't have to tend really to the patients while they were in coma. <laughs> so they just started putting a lot of people in, like... Temporary coma. <laughs> if anyone, um, I've seen this audio, but my head is in my hands. Like, <laughs> yeah, Amelia's going through it. And then I have an even wilder thing. I think this had, this is more about the 40s, but I thought I'd include it because it was mind blowing. And uh, it might still be mm-hmm. like a bit relevant in the 50s because I'm not really sure at what time they stopped with this. But we all know the, the whole shabam about female hysteria and yeah, stuff, yeah, 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 yeah. which I also looks a bit into because it's fascinating and yeah, yeah. I thought and maybe still a bit relevant yeah. yeah yeah like Freud had been around before this and he'd been like no it's just because they lack masculinity oh yeah if um, anyone doesn't which, know what we're yeah. talking about look in, look into it it's, it's very very interesting but you should yeah. you should know basically so the cures for that were also some kind of shock therapy and massaging which basically they wanted yes. to put the uterus back in its place and that's why they thought that like people were going hysteric. They thought it had to do with the placement of the uterus. So another doctor... Which makes sense because hyster, moon... Yeah. Menstrual cycle. I see cycle, where coming from, moon but cycle. no. <laughs> no. <laughs> but another doctor started giving women orgasms to fix them. Yes, the vibrators. Yeah, that's how they started selling them. Well, it's like, it's not yeah. completely confirmed on... Like things, but it's That's most likely invented. yeah that because they they didn't want to like tire their arms out just from giving women orgasms all day, so they invented this is this is 
how I it's how I learned it. They just invented vibrators yeah. to to get them off and then sent them on their way. Which makes me think, do you reckon people faked being hysterical? Um, probably. I mean, this was like late Victorian, wasn't it? Yeah. But they kept it going for like it. quite a while. Like even after it wasn't you know, completely... Like, it was proved it wasn't right. Doctor, I am hysteric. It probably depends on um, yeah. your doctor. Ask mine about it now. <laughs> Other things that were going on, 50s um, things. 50s in New York specifically. I might or might not be doing a module specifically on the 50s in New York, but it's not this. It's the New York schools and the beats were, like, slowly around this time. So there's a lot of progressive writing going on, especially yeah. in New York, but I understand why not being in a city actually is part of the book. It's such a big difference because I feel like it's really New York centered, and then the rest of America is mm. just something completely different. Isn't it still now? Yeah. Let's be honest. But at least now some of the cities are like, I don't know, like I feel like the main big cities are like. Yeah, you've yeah. got like LA and. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a so few. Yeah, of that them. was basically what was going on around the time. <laughs> nice. Should we also do some yeah. Sylvia Plath go, go for context? I haven't done loads. No. I've, I've, I've sort of looked into it as a vague. So this book was published sort of halfway between her divorce and her suicide, yeah. which is a very interesting time for her to release her only book. Especially, would you say the ending is, if not happy, at least hopeful? Yeah. I'm not sure. I found it very, I don't know, almost like a neutral. wasn't really sure whether I saw it as a good ending or not yeah but i i don't know because by the end of it esther is at, at least like better in air quotes you know yeah, she's she's in a better yeah. place than she is partway through yeah. the book which is why it's interesting to me that it was written right at the end of her life yeah unless pos- possibly she wrote it before the divorce and then the divorce made her like brought everything back up yeah i think it did because this might not be true because i saw it on wikipedia but I think her husband, like, said she wrote it in, like, a day when they were still together. Yeah, that makes sense. But I'm not sure how, how true that is, because I just read it on Wikipedia in, like, a quote, and then it was like, I was like, oh, maybe. One of the things I found really interesting about her husband and their divorce is after she died, even though they've been divorced for, like, a year or so at that point, he still inherited all of her estate. And, like, had all of the say over her. He published the book oh. with her mum. Her mum, like, was like, yeah, you can do it. Mm-hmm. Maybe because yeah. she's still, like, the mother of his kid. But they had two, they had two kids together. I but, yeah, I found that really interesting. I think that goes to show, like, status of woman, yeah, in the 60s. And um, yeah. how even if you're divorced, you're not, like, separated. Which really happened, like, from the late 70s, didn't it? Yeah, I guess so. I guess. Because the 60s itself changed so much. Yeah. That, like, start of 60s, end of 60s, different worlds. Yeah, there was a lot of Mm -hmm. progression. Which you can definitely see the rumblings of that in the book. There's Esther has a lot of, which I guess are Sylvia Plath's ideas as well, of the place of women and a sort of a woman's rights to her own body. Yeah. Which is, I found really interesting. And I don't know, there were some of my favourite parts of the book, I think. Going back to Sylvia Plath, this was her only Mm -hmm. novel. And before she died, she went through this whole, like, creative burst where she wrote what is probably... It's, it's like, known as her best poetry collection, which is called Ariel. And I haven't read it, but I really Me want neither, to. Yeah. I read some of them. I read some of her poems after I read the book. So I was like, I want to I wanna see what her poetry's like now. I just read one of them. I only read the one that was, like, the last one she wrote. Okay. Edge. Oh, yeah. Which is very dark and bleak. 
which yeah. makes sense. It's about suicide and killing her children and, yeah. Eek. Yeah. I don't think... Apparently her... One of the things that people are slightly... Like, it's slightly controversial is the fact that people think that her husband, after she died, threw away a lot of the poems that were about him. Because um, oh. apparently he didn't treat her very well in their marriage. And she wrote... She like wrote about writing poems about it or she told people about writing yeah. poems about him and then they were never found so people think that it he, makes like, sense because if she's so open about everything write. else she writes about it's almost weird that there's no poems about like her husband who's like a big part of her life if that is the case then it, it definitely is telling yeah about him she also had shock therapy and mm-hmm. her husband thinks that's part of what sort of he thinks it like eroded her mind in a way and um sort of what led to such a like up and down mental health because apparently she was like one day she was fine people think it could be yeah. bipolar disorder or it could be to do with the shock therapy or it could be yeah. bipolar disorder which was stemmed from the shock therapy because she was treated for depression mm-hmm. yeah but obviously retroactively we can sort of like give her other yeah now that we know more yeah we can give her other like diagnoses mm-hmm. obviously now she's not around, but that was that was pretty much what I had. That's, that's, that's what I had. Should we talk about the book? Yeah. in general good bad i mean i feel like we're both pretty much on the same yeah i liked it i'm not sure i would read it again it was very depressing intense yeah it's yeah it's definitely i think if i was to read it again i'd just like sit down and read it one day and then just have a cry and then just like move on with my life yeah it's it was i'm glad i read it yeah no i agree the first half i was having a great time yeah i was like i love this This is so cool. It, just like a single gal in who was like our age in New York, yeah. just in a magazine apprenticeship sort of thing. Yeah, I feel like we both love like New York anyway and like things that take place there and like yeah. the cool gal situation and, yeah, like, and things the like the New Yorker and stuff, like how yeah. that kind of world. Yeah. And then it just really doesn't continue like that. <laughs> Follow her mental health really well. I think that's one of the things that Sylvia Plath does really well is in her description. It's it's like gorgeously yeah, described. Yeah, it's really good. But you follow Esther's spiral and you're reading it and you're just sort of feeling what she's feeling yeah. in a, in a, to an extent and then just like... Because I feel like when she's in New York, she is like straight up having a good time. And then Yeah, she's not. partly. Like she doesn't enjoy the parties and stuff, like part of it. Yeah. But... I quite I just enjoyed reading that but like you can tell how she doesn't fit in but in a different way it's not all bleak there's parties and they're not always great but it's like life you know yeah yeah no, I don't really yeah. relate to the second part so I feel like it must be a very different experience reading it if you actually do have depression or are like suicidal so I can't speak for that like how intense yeah then it must be and maybe that's a different experience because she writes so poetically 
that you like you really sympathize with the character and what's going on but you're not like involved in it yeah kind of i can read it with like a certain distance yeah i i I definitely agree which i think does change the experience whereas like from the first part i related to a bunch of the things she was saying see if this is like it's one of those things that's like fictionalized autobiography and Mm -hmm. i always want to know like how much of it is fiction and how much of it is (laughs) true so I was reading Hazel Hayes out of love the other day and I wanted to I was like how much of this is true like I want to know how much like I feel like at the start I feel like yeah it's like 40% fiction or like this is like 30% my real life because I want to know like what bits are real but apparently um one of the things I read about this is there was one of the girls who the roommates were based on at the start of the I think I've read that, yeah. Yeah, and um, they said that there was so much of what actually happened in there that at least one of their marriages broke down as a result. Yeah, like it was so true that like fights started. Which is wild. Makes me think, like, what in there did she say about people that wasn't known yet? I don't know, like... I, I, Did she just expose, like, her entire friendship group? Apparently oh they God. couldn't, like, look each other in the eye or anything. Yeah. I don't... Because I don't feel like it that exposing. Maybe for those times. Yeah, maybe. Because it does talk quite openly about, like, having sex before marriage. Yeah. Maybe it was the guy that... Or the girl that used to have sex before marriage and then got married. Yeah. <laughs> maybe the husband didn't know. He was under the impression that she was a virgin. And she was just, like, having a, a yeah. fun time in New York. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah, with the... What is his name at the start? The the famous guy. Which one? Not Buddy. The other Lenny. one. Lenny. Oh. Lenny and Doreen. Yeah. Good old Lenny. Yeah. I love the names. They're so, like, 50s. And then when she's like, gives a fake name and she's like, yeah, my name is Ellie Higginbottom. <laughs> yeah. But it's Ellie with a Y. I yeah. love it. Esther is a cool name as well. But Esther is still very much, like, in the Netherlands here, there's a lot of people called Esther. It's one of, like, every mum, every other mum. <laughs> Okay, I think it's one of those, like, it's a grandma name, but it's also, mm. like, a cool toddler name. Yeah, no, here it's definitely, like, you have Karens and Esters. Okay. You have Astrid's as well, don't you? Because <laughs> I would say Astrid is one of those ones that's, like, a... Yeah, same same soup. It's, like, a yeah. cool toddler name. Yeah. yeah, no, here's same same soup. But maybe that's yeah. just, like, I know a lot of mums that are called that. But they're all lovely mums. They're not, like, actual Karens. Okay. They're just mum names. Yeah. I was telling you about my Karen thing yesterday, wasn't yeah. I? Yeah. Amelia's a bit of a Karen. I wanted to talk to the, the manager of chips. <laughs> and rightfully so. If they overcook... I mean, they do say cooked on there. But, like, if they overcook it... They ask for, like, a batch number and things. So I'm sure if enough people have, like, have a similar batch number and have complained. But it's, it's like, you know when you have a crisp, you want it to be, like, yellow. Yeah. This was, like, golden. Oh, I do like a good golden crisp, though. But maybe that's just me. But not when all of the packets like that. Yeah. And it just, it tasted like burnt oil. Oh, okay, fair enough. But maybe you'll get free, free crisps. That's what I was thinking. But they won't be free unless I eat the packet. So I'm having to eat the yeah. packet. Even though it's like, I would give it a solid, like, four out of ten. But I'll still eat it because they're salt and vinegar kessel chips. Um. Yeah, anyway, back to the book. Do you have anything that you want to say? Feelings? Thoughts and feelings. I mean, I loved the writing. Yeah. The writing is it in it is what sold me. It's one of the best written books I've ever read, I think. It makes me want to read other books by her, but preferably not. Yeah. No, that's not necessarily... I was going to say not this one. Like, I want to read her books, but not that's not true. Because I really enjoyed reading this. 
but I'm just debating whether I actually liked the book or whether I just liked her writing. Yeah, this is her only novel. Yeah. The writing kind of reminds me a little bit of Erin Morganson, who wrote, who's written my favourite books. Mm. But it's the same sort of, like, poetic prose, which I, I love. I love that, that. And you can definitely tell when you're reading it that she's primarily a poet. Yeah. And she talks about things. It's a short yeah. book, and she summarises things in a way that I think I do as well when I'm writing or... Especially when I'm writing, like, essays. I just sort of put as few words to say what I want to say. I enjoy reading that, which I think is why we had the similar experience where we realised we were getting through it too quickly. It's definitely very easy to read, and she does such a good job at making unattainable things very attainable in writing. She's really good at making just feelings Mm -hmm. come to life with very understandable metaphors and stuff like that. Whereas, like, normally in, like, especially 50s, 60s writing, people trying to be as fake as they can. I don't know. It's it's hard to word it, but I feel like she just makes it so attainable when she really could have not done that. Oh, there's a picture of Sylvia Plath in the front of my copy. I want her sweater vest. Cute. It's like a high neck one. It's like a turtleneck. Yeah, she's rocking that. Sweater vest. She looks great. Ooh. Yes, I, I think that's one of the things that makes it so relevant to, like, the writing style makes it relevant to us because it's, like, vague enough that you can understand it and relate to it, especially as young women. Yeah. We are in a similar point in our lives to Esther because we... At the, at the point where she's, like, deciding what she wants to do with her life, she's they're all sort of yeah. deciding what they want to do in the future. I feel like we're definitely the right age to read this. Like, maybe, like, next year or something like that would be... Yeah, like, or when, when, when we graduate, yeah. Yeah, but... To anyone who's our age who hasn't read it yet at this point, I mean, what you're doing here, but also <laughs> read it. It reads like a coming of age novel, especially because I feel like Esther's she doesn't really have much of a purpose in the book. She's just sort of like yeah. going through living her life, but she does want to lose her virginity. <laughs> so yeah. she, she's literally just like going around, like deciding when is the right moment to lose her virginity. <laughs> Which is a very coming-of-age novel theme. It is, yeah. That is, like, her main goal. But then she's got all of these obstacles in her way of, like, her mental health and things. And It reminds me a bit of the girl from Sex Education. Is it Lily? Yeah. Yeah. It's Who like just Lily in goes around wanting to lose her virginity, but she can't. <laughs> you reckon Lily is based off of Sylvia Plath, Esther? I doubt it. But I think it's just <laughs> one of those, like, universal themes of like young people i would have liked it if she was actually based off of esther i think that would have been funny they were like yeah there's actually a reference to the bell jar by sylvia plath you know only only a few will understand not you when we graduate you start writing an essay about how lily is as actually but you just do it for fun because it's not you know what i say scrap your dissertation start it new here you go thank you (laughs) i'll take it and i'll run with it yeah I've just written down gays. There, there were some gays. Yes. Um, there was, what was her name? Joan, her friend, was hitting on her. Oh, at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And there were gays, wasn't her, like, one of one of the figures, the, like, her writing patron? I don't know. I don't remember fully. I think she had a wife, or, like, someone that she lived with. I think I read that too long ago. Yeah, at the start. Because Joan is an interesting figure. Yes. What did you think of her? I think I liked her, question mark. I liked her at the end, but not, like, at the end end, obviously. Yeah. Um, 
yeah. when she dies. Because she's in the start. She's there and she's in New York. Yeah. I think I'm getting her confused with Doreen. One of them I really like. One of them I found very annoying. I'm not sure. Joan was a year ahead of her. Oh, she was in... The, she was president of a class and a physics major. And... She always made me feel squirmy with her starry, pebble-coloured eyes Uh, and her gleaming tombstone teeth and her breathy voice. She was as big as a horse, too. I began... Oh, she was the one that Buddy went out with for a while. Because Buddy's like, is there something about me that just makes women... (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, nah. (laughs) I think in another another life, Buddy would be such a fuckboy. Yeah, definitely. I think he still is. But then he's a bit like, I feel so sorry for him because he just seems so helpless. <laughs> That's the worst kind. <laughs> like, he is awful, but you know he can't help himself being so awful. He's like, I'm I'm just a medical student and I have I have tuberculosis. <laughs> <laughs> you can't leave me because I might die. <laughs> he belongs on the Instagram account, the the beat me up soft boy. It's just Buddy. Yeah. And like his he parents, absolutely he's like, I just like his mom. <laughs> it's so bad. Which is why it makes me feel bad. Like, no one actually seems to like Buddy. Which, fair enough, like, I didn't either. <laughs> and then it turns out that Joan's a lesbian. Yeah. So she never actually liked him in the first place. <laughs> Maybe she did just fancy his mom. Yeah. Maybe everyone just fancies Buddy's mom. That's why they're growing out with Buddy. I think they would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because then she decides that, that they become friends when they're in the... Psych ward. Yeah, hospital together. Yeah. But it's like the chill hospital, because they're, they're, they're like roommates, but they're in a hospital yeah, they and they're being checked on. Yeah. And, and then she's like, Joan is better, in inverted commas. Like, yeah. she's doing better than Esther at that point. And then does she kill herself because Esther rejects her? It's kind of unclear. I'm unsure yeah i think it might be like the last drop Mm. kind of Mm. because i don't think she really was better i think she was just pretending so she didn't have to be there yeah maybe that would make sense because i was quite surprised when she did like hang herself yeah me too i don't know i was yeah especially because isn't that just after esther does lose her virginity and then she has like a huge hemorrhage like i didn't even realize it was like a different day i thought like she arrived was like fuck it i'm bleeding everywhere and joan was just like bye no i think it was a it was a little while later wasn't it because she goes and sees the same guy again okay and then joan is missing and then they find her Yeah. yeah i was very confused by that i didn't really it's a timeline then i don't know i think i was doing something else at the same time or like Maybe just tired. Maybe I was just, like, reading right before bed and I was just like, what? <laughs> yeah, I read a lot of this late at night. Um, I think yeah, I had some same. funky dreams. Yeah. That's understandable. I did have a weird dream, but now I can't remember. I just remember waking up being like, what was that? <laughs> yeah. I was, when I was reading about, like, themes and things, about how mm. Esther's childhood trauma mixed with her perfectionism, which, and the fact that she... Yeah. Her dad died when she was young and yeah, things. Um, that so it's sort of like the root of her mental health problem. So I was wondering, is Esther a former gifted kid? Probably. Because she, well, I think she's still... She got good grades. Because she got rejected from Harvard, which means she at least have to be able to apply to Harvard. Yeah, yeah. Which says something. Which I, I think that's part of what makes it so relevant as well, because the people who are likely to read the books are people that like got grades got good grades as kids. You know, yeah. that it's that sort of She know she knows the audience. <laughs> yeah. 
Because it's probably just like how Sylvia Plath was. Yeah. Like, it's very hard for me with this book to see it separately, like her life and the bell jar. Because it's so similar. I don't think it's really possible to... Yeah. Oh, we should also talk about the title. um, Yes. Because... I really liked it. It's it's a really good title and it comes up a couple of times, but it comes up for different things. So I think it's partly about Esther's entrapment with like her mental health being in yeah. the hospital she can't she physically like can't life. go anywhere yeah but then it's like more generally about how she is trapped through her place like as a woman in, in society. society yeah which i think that yes the novel is about mental health issues it's about mental health treatment in the 1950s and all of those things but it's also about women fitting into society yeah and expectations yeah and about how a lot of these young women in this period, which probably is what triggered such a huge change in the 60s, yeah. how they feel like they're further ahead of society. That Especially the younger generations, yeah. Yeah, there, there's sort of this divide between the how the parents feel and then how the kids feel, which I think we're seeing again now as well. I think... That's the thing, though. I feel like it's always been that case, probably. That's what pushes society forwards, yeah. Yeah. But I think in certain periods of times, it's more pronounced than in others. Yeah. And also, it really depends on, like, especially because she's so used to city life, and then going back to, like, a more rural place. Or, like, not necessarily yeah. very rural, but, like, more countryside. Do you call it countryside when it's not really countryside? Like, she's just, like, a smaller town. Yeah, it's it's going from the city back to your small town, hometown. Yeah. Which definitely also changed. Like, even here, like, different sides of the country. And, like, I'm not sure how much you see it, but because we've both, well, I don't know. Have you really grown up in the city? You've grown up around cities. I've grown up in big towns. Yeah. Same. Like, I, my town is considered a city and it's quite big, but it's close to Amsterdam. Like, a lot of the people who didn't like Amsterdam anymore because there were people who were different and tourists and not Dutch moved to this town to escape from people who were different so we're like known as a pretty racist city even though we are a city very much and like yeah. a pretty good like developed city which is weird but then going to the other side of the country you do where my other grand that's why I go there like my other grandparents live there and they're quite like modern yeah. for their generation and living on that side of the country but then around there there's a lot of like you can just tell the people who live there even our generation are just more Less educated in matters. Yeah. I think in in England we definitely have the, the north-south divide. Yeah. Which is very pronounced. But I think it's sort of more to do with each area. So you can live in the north, obviously, and get, like, good yeah. education. But in the south, there would be a higher percentage of, like, good schools in the south. Yeah. Because there's more money. money. There's London, obviously, yeah. which is, like, the hub of the country almost. But the, obviously the north and... The Midlands, Scotland, Wales all have their own epicentre. I think that is the case with a lot of countries. I think so, yeah. But it almost makes me think, like, that's why I found it so interesting that it's called the bell jar. Because it makes it seem like that the educated people are inside the bell jar, whereas I would have seen it as the Mm. other way around. I suppose. They are not able to access their information, but maybe in this time, because it was like a minority of the people who probably were progressing and, like hip and modern so maybe it is easier for them to be like we are inside the Belgium because we're the only ones to access it and the majority is still outside whereas now yeah. it's the other way around probably 
And so the majority is inside the bell jar, not knowing all the rest and the information is outside, being unable to access it. I think it's more to do with her being a woman than her being educated. Maybe because she is like an educated progressive woman, but I think it's she feels trapped in her place. Yeah. No, I, I meant more like about the ideas of society, which a lot of people had, like even some men yeah. probably had, like in New York. Whereas like Yeah. Not necessarily what she was able to do. I, th- I do see that how that's trapped, but more like information wise. Yeah, I suppose. But um I think it's like she has the education but because she's in the bell jar she has no means to execute mm-hmm. it. And that's what makes her feel trapped. Yeah. But that's why I find it interesting. Like you could either see the the big city like New York as the Belgia mm. or like the small town. Yeah. And either way they don't really connect with each other as they should. Yeah. I see that. I do see that. So the book was published under a pseudonym. Yes. Which I found really interesting because I think she'd already released poetry under her name when the book was released. Mm. I'm not really So I, I, this sure. wouldn't have been like her first publication, but I don't know whether maybe maybe it was published under a pseudonym because she was concerned about like how people would feel about it. Yeah. But also about how the people that are fictionalised within the novel would feel about yeah. it. <laughs> So maybe it's like her friends in New York whose marriages broke down because their their husbands found out. We don't, we're unconfirmed, but yeah, probably. Um, their husbands found out they had sex before marriage and they were like, it's that fucking bitch Sylvia. <laughs> we knew that she was... <laughs> there she goes again. <laughs> she, was, she was always going to be a problem. <laughs> Classic class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. And like, yeah, because yeah, the pseudonym was still a woman, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like Violet, someone I think. Let me have yeah, a look. Victoria. If, yeah, Vic- Victoria Lucas. Yes. Yes, you were, you were right. It's a good name. Mm. It's yeah. a very Twilight name. I was thinking that, but it's like Twilight, but also George Lucas. Yes. Twilight and Star Wars, but before either. And somehow that makes sense. I see the the people who are like, if you made a triangle of things. Yeah. I feel like the the three corners of the triangle could be Star Wars, Twilight and the Bell Jar. <laughs> and every kind of literature fits in it. <laughs> Apart- yeah, no. I, I said what I said. Okay. Wasteland is in the middle. Exactly the middle. Because it's the pretentious people that like Star Wars. <laughs> but it's the shittiness from Twilight, how the world is ending. Yeah. And then it's the pretentious... Well, not pretentious. The, the writing of the Bell Jar that like... <laughs> The deep, the deepness. It's like it's the, the deepness, the yes. thoughts. It's Star Wars, but deeper. So maybe it's a little bit less like close to Twilight than the others. Okay, but it's Twilight, not deep. Maybe it's the fakeness. It's the inconsistency from Twilight. Okay, I understand now. <laughs> it's just the 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 moral moron moron. What was it again? Yeah, moron. Moron. No. What's no. <laughs> that? Are you calling me a moron? No, what's the thing that um, what Stephanie Meyer is? A Mormon. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> that was a struggle. Yeah, and I feel like T.S. Eliot would be too. Okay. <laughs> it's the innocence. Recently, I was reading um, Sherlock Holmes, the the the. the a study in the Scarlet. Rumors. A study in yes. Scarlet. And um, there was Mormons in that. I didn't realise that Mormonism went back that far. I must say, I'm not. that's not my area of expertise. I know. I know that it's like... 
a big thing in like Utah and they have like lots of wives. <laughs> and I think Brendan Urie was a Mormon. And maybe was he? Oh yeah, but he was like born into a Mormon family. Oh, okay. And um Lucky Blue Smith, he's also a Mormon, the model. Yeah. Um, and they're like not into like not having sex before marriage, but he he's got like kids with different women. Um So how's that? I'm not shaming, but like if you if you're gonna like Yeah, at least join stand a cult, then your, be like consistent. Morals. <laughs> yeah. Don't be yeah. hypocrite. And maybe the lead singer of the killers. Oh, that doesn't surprise me. Might have been raised Mormon. But I think a lot of them like leave. Yeah. I was thinking about that. Well, I wasn't exactly... No, this is a different... My brain went to a different conversation. But I really wonder about... Like, I don't want to be inconsiderate, but how many generations it will take until religion just won't be there anymore. Hopefully not that many. Yeah, but then there's a lot of people who really... Like, who it really helps. So I wonder if there will always be a place like Utah where it's just like, oh, that's where the religious people live. Maybe they'll find each other and, like, start anew. I don't know, because I feel like a lot of people really depend on religion yeah but they could, we can give them other things to depend on well no because that's the thing like a lot of people i guess there's a documentary i saw about this but a lot of times i'm sorry for being inconsiderate for anyone listening you're free to believe whatever you want these are just our views and uh, yeah anyway i don't want this to be held against me in any way i'm just like generally just this is my thought process and probably shouldn't publish this online but you know how it is well our generation anyway we might just cut this out but yeah. no because i do think it's an interesting discussion because i saw a documentary how partly religion actually works with believing in it because it's the same as manifesting if you really believe in something it will actually help have you read american gods by neil gaiman no i have not okay there's an interesting concept in that book spoilers for american gods if anyone hasn't read it which is that when enough people believe something that god comes to life yeah so it's sort of like the gods exist because people believe in them they don't predate the religion. Which is kind of, like, similar anyway with a lot of things. A lot of things don't exist, but enough people believe that, I don't know, gender exists. Or, like, days. So it's true. Yeah, and I think in the book... I, I read it a while ago, yeah. and I haven't seen the TV show, but I think once people don't believe in them anymore, they sort of leave, so yeah. they don't exist. Which we also have seen with a lot of gods. Like, mythology yeah. and shit. Yeah. I think one of the main gods is Woden, mm. who... I think he's, like, worried that people aren't going to believe in him anymore, but there's, like, enough people in, like, rural... Places. I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah, that still sort of believe that he exists. Yeah. And, like, but... the fun pagans, you know? Yeah. I do think that's an interesting concept, because I've always just considered it as, like, not working, but I guess that if you really put your mind... Like, if you pray for something every night... Yeah. It might happen because you're thinking about it all the time, so you put more energy in yeah. towards making that happen. So I see how people would find it comforting to preach to something instead of to nothing, which is basically what manifesting is. Yeah, I just mostly don't agree with organised religion, which is used to justify horrible things that... But it's not... Yeah, but that's not the religion's fault. Is it? It's the people who are shit. Yeah, but I just think that if you're subscribing to that, you're perpetuating... Not necessarily. I know a lot of nice religious people who are not assholes. I don't think it's fair to, I don't know, say that, like, put them together. Like, put them together because it's a community of religious people. But there's a lot of, like, modern... Like, even Pope Francis. He's great. He doesn't subscribe to any of those bullshit ideas. He's all right. 
He's he's actively working against it. Yeah, I think that religion symbolises a lot of what's wrong with society, but I don't necessarily think that all mm. religious people are bad people. Yeah. I don't know, there's also a bunch of assholes who aren't religious. Yeah, of course there are. I feel like it's important that we all believe in something. I don't. But that doesn't necessarily have to be religion or anything religious. I think that everyone needs to have a purpose, but... Yeah, that's more what I mean. Like, I mean, don't mean, like, believe in something like that created things, but more, like, find something that moves you. Have you seen Soul? I haven't yet, no. That's very good. That's what Soul's about. Yeah. Everyone should watch Soul. Yes. That's the... (laughs) I don't know, because I feel like it's relevant to this book as well, because, like, I think a lot of the times it's finding something that, like, gives you purpose, like you said. Yeah. And I guess that if religion helps with that, it might help a lot of people. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about religion, and they're, yeah. none of them are very straightforward. I'm just, like, I, I like to... It's an interesting concept. It's just yeah. not for me. Yeah. It's it's definitely not for me, and I, I kind of, I see a lot more flaws in it than positives but that depends on the religion as well yeah of course it does it definitely which is why i disagree mostly with organized religion in general i think but i disagree with christianity more than most Mm. just because it's been used to justify so many things even like the all the concentration camps and things that happen in china in the moment they're all justified by religion yeah, but that's the thing. The main thing that's wrong with it is that state and religion, like people's personal beliefs, shouldn't be controlling other people's personal beliefs. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's basically the thing. I don't think religion is the fault. I think it's the fault that people pushing it onto other yeah. people, which is a very small percentage. We just hear a lot about that small percentage because they are. The yeah, but if you look people. at it historically, like religion has been used to Christianity in particular in this country has been used to keep the poor poor and uneducated. And to keep women below men. But once again, that's the people who are just assholes. I don't yeah, think that's and it, but, no, but yeah. it's like society-wide, and it has been. And I think, even though that's not necessarily the case now, I think the historical... You can't quite step away from that. And even recently, religion is used to justify gay conversion therapy and lots, so many horrible things that... Society's progressed past the need for religion, or Christianity in particular. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think there's also good things coming from it, because there's a lot of people who are assholes and then aren't because of religion as well. I don't know. It's a complicated subject, because it's so big. There isn't much religion in the bell jar. No, there isn't, which I found interesting for the time, which is why I think... Yeah. Like, which is why I related it to it, because it's all about finding purpose, and I guess the main... I think Sylvia Plath has joined the people that that I would want to... There's another train, but I'm just going to talk over it. I think Sylvia Plath has joined the people who I would want to have dinner with at, like, my... You know, everyone's always like, who would you want to have at your dinner party? And I I think Sylvia Plath is there with Mary Shelley now. I'm not sure. I don't think she'd be a lot of fun. I think she'd be interesting. I think she would be interesting, but I wouldn't want to write a dinner party. I would maybe want to have just a conversation with her. Because I feel like she would, if you read, like, the start of the novel, she hates all the parties she's going to. <laughs> I would ask her if she wanted to come. Yeah, I would ask her. I would invite her. And then... I wouldn't just, like, force her to come. Yeah. Depends on who else is there. I'd say, hey, hey, Sylvia, you want to come to my dinner party? And she's like, um, no, I'll pass. I'll join you for a drink. And I'm like, yeah, you can come yeah. for a drink. And maybe she'll love it because it's new times. It's a yeah. new dawn. I think if I said that Mary Shelley was coming, she might be more interested. <laughs> Maybe she hates Mary Shelley. We just don't know. 
I mean, I don't think no. so, but... <laughs> yeah, I don't know who else would be at my dinner party. Maybe, like, a famous historical chef so we can have some good food. <laughs> or, like, a mixologist. I'll do the cooking. We'll just yeah. have someone who, like, knows wine and things. I've currently got an open bottle of Barefoot Pinot Grigio in my no, fridge, so... you know who I want there? Pick who? up limes or, or good eatings from YouTube. They make some snazzy shit. <laughs> and, like, I could make it, but I just don't want to put the effort in. Yeah, fair. They can be your caterers. Yeah, it's shit like what they're called. Why have I just got pomegranates? Which is just a lot of effort. I really enjoy eating them, but I just don't want to put the time in to pick all the pomegranate seeds out. I find it quite meditative. Okay, so you can come. You can do the pomegranate. <laughs> Why are you eating pomegranates at your dinner party? No, but like, it's like a to. salad topping, you know? I just love pomegranate. Or like in a dessert, just some pomegranate on top. I just think it's like, if you're going to have a good dinner party, shit like yeah. that makes it. Like just a bit of, a little bit of jazz. Just add a little yeah. bit of spice, but it's pomegranate. Oh, I just thought of another thing that's already happened in 2020. Other th- uh, 2021, sorry. Other <laughs> than the, the capital, storm in the capital building. The other thing I was going to talk about when we were like, New Year, um, Avi Hammer. Oh God. I sent you the tweets when they first came out and you were like, I think they're fake and I was like, I think some of them are, but I don't no, think all it was of them that are. I, th- I remember it, I think you we talked about it on Facebook Messenger and I still stand yeah. by that the DMs are staged. But I do think he has some issues. I don't think he necessarily generally eats people. <laughs> I just think that he has No, I think that shouldn't enough... have been public. I think there's enough things that the fact that it's his voice in one of the voice notes and the fact that it's his tattoo in the picture yeah but those are different ones than the original dms and the ones where it's a screen record and they scroll up and you can see the the have you seen that one maybe depends on which one you're talking about it's some of the dms but they're like people are like oh you faked it and then they were like actually i haven't because then screen record goes on instagram and scrolls that down and then you see all of the messages yeah and then goes onto his account and it's his account yeah (laughs) yeah no i have seen that one but um i don't think he actually would i still stand by that Maybe, maybe maybe the moral of this and the bell jar is just men yeah god period (laughs) i don't know i feel like he likes to imagine it like it's a fantasy but i don't think he actually would execute it but all of the tiktoks is so funny yeah i do love the memes i think it's brought something great forward same thing with the bernie sanders meme i think it's great it's so good i love that little man and especially because he made his mittens and they're from wool that's made from plastic bottles great yeah what what a man i love so, him so maybe much. our conclusion is ugh, men apart from Sanders. Sanders. yeah yes not all men that's our conclusion <laughs> yeah but see this is why we need a guest because we need someone to tell us to shut the fuck up <laughs> no i think we've had a really good we've had a really good in-depth discussion mm-hmm. of What's yeah. going on? But also all things that are not going on. Yeah. And next month we have Freya and we're going to be discussing Brooklyn, yes. which is on my bookshelf. I'm yes. looking at it right now. 
Yes. I'm looking forward to that one. One of my favourite films. Yeah, I'm going to rewatch the film at some point. Maybe I'll see if Chloe wants to watch it tonight if she's not busy. And mm-hmm. I'll start the book and... Yay, Saoirse Ronan. I watched Ammonite with Saoirse Ronan and Kate Winslet last night. Mm-hmm. It was, I would say, vaguely interesting, but mostly dull. Yeah. Have you seen it? I watched, no, I watched The King of Satan Island, which is very similarly, very okay. <laughs> Aggressively okay. I think <laughs> I gave it two and a half stars. Yeah. Which is... I give I gave this three stars, but maybe I was just being, because it was... You know, you know, Pete Davidson, it was him. Okay. And it was like his story of how his dad died and how he coped with it afterwards, which is just a story about a white man struggling. But then I felt bad because his dad actually died in a fire. So I gave it three stars. What else was it that I gave two and a half stars recently? I know, because I was like, yeah, they feel the same. It was Ready Player One. We rewatched um, yeah. the film. Because me and Chloe both like the book. Oh, I haven't read it. I've listened to the audiobook and I liked the audiobook. And I... Yeah, the film just makes me really annoyed. It could have been so much better. That's fair, yeah. Um, yeah. It's another of the things where it's like the first half's good and then the second half just goes to shit. Yeah. I mean, I do like the second half oh, of the yeah, book. Oh, no, yeah, no, I wasn't talking about the book. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I still I thought I think it was really the second good. half I'm so is happy good. I read it, but... Yeah. Yeah. And also now... I feel more like a woman in her 20s. I feel like reading this book has officially made me a woman in her 20s. I agree. I think it's it's something that if you think you can read it, you should read it. Yes. It's. I, f- I think it's one of those books I can, I'll go around and I'll be like, yeah, I've read The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which, on that note, I'm now rereading the poetry by Charles Bukowski and it's a similar vibe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got... A big Charles Bukowski collection. It's a really nice transition. I've read them before, but I read them before going to uni, yeah. and I feel like it's a good one to read now that I actually... If you like Charles like, Bukowski, I've, I've... you should read some Eileen Miles poetry. Mm. They're, they're very cool non-binary lesbian author mm-hmm. who takes a lot of inspiration from Bukowski, and also ran for presidency in the 80s. Nice. Yeah. I like part of it. It just references a lot of the the things we've studied in the last three years, which is why I'm now like, wow, look. Which is why I was like, I want to reread it because there's new perspectives. And... Oh, the Bukowski. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's an interesting bloke. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's very much like drink, shag, yes. sleep. Which is my favourite kind of poem. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I hate to say it, but... <laughs> This is why I did New York schools. This is why I love the beats. Yeah. It's all yeah. the same soup. It is. Younger women and beer. <laughs> Whiskey. Yeah, true. Oh, yeah, we're doing Vans tonight. I'm excited. Yes. We're making haggis tonight, but vegan haggis. Yeah. I'm not sure why I said that. Like, I said it so aggressively, but the laptop vegan couldn't haggis. see me. We're making vegan haggis. <laughs> I'm excited. Well, that was that was the bell jar, mostly, and also other things, as it, as it normally is. <laughs> So yeah, join us next month for a little bit more wholesome rom com but for me, a life-changing drama. I've only seen the film once, but I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, so I'm same. really looking forward to going back to same. it. Because I think a lot of films that are like Brooklyn, I've watched so many times. It's a bit like Lady Bird in the 50s, I'd say. Yeah. Partly because yeah. it's Saoirse Ronan, but also partly because it generally just is. Yeah. So if you like Lady Bird, join us. Yes. Yeah.
So I'm excited to read it, which will also be interesting because yes. that will be a male perspective. Yes, but it's a female protagonist. Yeah, which is always an interesting ride. We'll see. So, yeah. This was the 60s. This was Sylvia Plath. It was January. Follow us on all the relevant platforms, probably just Instagram and any podcasting platform that you like. Yeah, if you listen to this, you'll probably already know, but we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, Spotify and Acast. Yes, those are the ones. And we post on Instagram quite a lot. Yeah, so. which is just at the Time Turner Collective. It's yes. very easy, so it's straightforward. Yes, or at Time Turner Collective. Join us there. Yes. <laughs> so that's that. Thank you for listening. Yes. And as everyone says in their... In a bell jar. Lovely mental hospitals. Screaming from a bell jar, but you can't hear it because it's in the inside. Yeah. Goodbye. We'll see you in the past.